0: Catherine McCord is an advocate for neurodiversity, inclusion and innovation in the workplace. In this episode, she brings a wealth of knowledge and experience and gives actionable advice on diversity and inclusion, entrepreneurship and empowerment. Catherine shares insights on neurodiversity, creativity in hiring and revolutionising your workplace so that it works in a much better way.
1: So first of all uh, for anybody who doesn't know neurodiversity is is the term that is currently used to describe the idea that difference is not a deficit in the neuro community and it's used specifically to describe people that have a medically visible and or diagnosable difference in how they process information and or stimuli and that's a huge range right so it's anything from like epilepsy and uh, traumatic brain injury all the way over to like adhd autism uh, misophonia, which is uh, fun, obsessive compulsive disorder, all those types of things. Um, so that's, that's what neurodiversity is. And, um, and I think that, you know, a lot of people, they do kind of try to self diagnose. And um, first of all, I, th- I think that general self diagnosis as neuro diverse, neurodivergent, whatever terminology you want to use, I think that that's, that's important, because you need to realize about yourself that you have something different about you, right? That something's going on. Um, But I do, I do carefully warn against self-diagnosis in terms of specific conditions, because you can actually end up accidentally causing more harm than good to yourself, because you'll assume something about yourself. And you don't know about all these other things over here that it could be, right? So a lot of people will self-diagnose is one thing. When they absolutely do not meet the criteria for that, but they have these other two things or three things or whatever over here. So I tell people, you know, get the, get the clinical diagnosis if you're able to. Um, that is sort of a point of privilege, but get the diagnosis if you're able to just so that you can learn how to support yourself. But yeah, other than that, yeah, in, you know, embrace it and roll with it. Um, it's kind of a cool concept, right? it is that there's just these humans out there that just have these different fascinating brains that work on a whole new level in a whole new way and now there's all kinds of science happening behind it which is super fun
0: yeah i mean i've heard so many different terms i've heard neurodiversity i've heard neurospicy i've heard sparkly kids so <laughs> Your many favorite different what
1: is neurospicy i'm like <laughs> i'm like a little jalapeno like <laughs>
0: I've heard so many different terms for it and honestly at at this point you know it's something that people are definitely aware of and you know people are more open to and it's not so much of a of a bad thing but I'm wondering for you what was your experience of neurodiversity how did it come into your life how did you become aware Uh, of these things and you know did you get a a diagnosis all these things
1: that's a good question so uh I was in for best anybody can tell born neurodiverse uh, in several ways, and then I developed several others. So from a very young age, my parents realized like, oh, something's a little different with this one, right? Um, (laughs) They came in and I was extremely meticulous about how things had to be. I would freak out if they weren't that way. That was my obsessive compulsive disorder kicking in. Um, And there were a few other things as well that developed as as I aged. And my parents, I will say, this is the most beautiful response that anybody can have um they they knocked it out of the park with this and and to me this is the greatest source of privilege I ever had in my life is that my parents response to this was okay no big deal we're just going to help her learn to work with whatever this is I was never treated like something was wrong there was never a big deal made about it it was just, hey, this is just how you function. These are some things you can do to take care of yourself. And we discovered some things together. And away we went with it, right? Like, there was never like a, oh, you know, you have this condition and oh, no, poor Catherine or anything. Nope. <laughs> just this is this is it. No big deal. Um, and, and they really did a great job helping me learn myself. Um, so I was born, I was born with some of it. I developed Uh, bipolar 1 and misophonia, which is basically that certain sounds make me malfunction, is a very fun and general way to put it. Um, then there's a few others as well, including uh, my 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 seizure disorder, which is not epilepsy, but it's kind of adjacent to that. Um, so I have multiple neurodiversities. So that's kind of how it came into my life. I have one side of my family that is just rampant with neurodiversity. The other side, there's definitely a little bit, but it's a little bit more uh, localized, a little bit more consistent. Um, but honestly, I got into the work because I just saw a breakdown in how things were being done and that OCD part of me needed to fix it I get a little obsessed with fixing things so (laughs) so that's where that came in is seeing what was happening to the other humans and how we were not working effectively with other humans and we were not um, doing things in a way that made sense or treated people very well so I decided that I wanted to fix it. And yes, I do have uh, formal diagnoses. By the way, you did ask about that. Yes, I do have formal diagnoses.
0: Yeah, I think I think there's a lot of people out there that are undiagnosed and people that are diagnosed, yes. right? But yes. one thing that they can't seem to get their head around is, you know, conventional ways of thinking, conventional ways of living. So you know, it can go as far as you know being a hoarder and all that kind of stuff, or it can be more yes. in the kind of middle where a normal job drives you insane, right? Yes, a lot of entrepreneurs, that a lot. of-
1: So bored, so bored, so easily. <laughs>
0: yeah well a lot of entrepreneurs a lot of creatives a lot of people that are just working outside the system it's like I just couldn't do it I had to find a different way and so that kind of brings me to where we were before we were recording is the idea that neurodiversity is actually you know semi you know linked in with this whole genius particle thing but it's something that I think could be viewed as you know for lack of a better word a superpower so I'm wondering how can people with these types of you know things going on for them turn it into a superpower how can we view neurodiversity in a positive way
1: great that's a great question and i just want to say so right now the science is backing that up so there's now been a whole lot of science we went we went just centuries without any real science as as to you know how these things actually affected us and the cool thing about the human body and mind is that we actually are designed to to take care of ourselves and compensate for ourselves right so if there is maybe a weakness or a struggle in one area the mind and the body develop a strength in another so take dyslexia for instance you may have trouble with uh, with reading or with spelling it kind of manifests in different ways but then you get, you know, hyper creative thinking, right. And, uh, different types of innovative, you know, inclinations. And it's absolutely fascinating. Richard Branson has done a lot of talking about that. The owner of the Virgin. Yeah. Smile. yeah the, the owner of the Virgin, um, uh, enterprise. And, um, and then you have, you know, every inventor in history, it, you know, if it's either confirmed or they've looked back and gone, Oh, well, you know, in all likelihood, this is what was going on, you know, Um, and and all these people were neurodiverse. And so there's just something about that. Um, Hewlett Packard has done studies on this. Johns Hopkins has done some wonderful work. Harvard's done some work. The National Library of Medicine in the U.S. has a lot of studies published, all saying that there are benefits that come with these. So yes, there can be disability. Um, Not always, but sometimes there is. And there are three different types of disability. Legal Right. Which is however your country defines it. Um, medical, which is the medical society, um, and which can also, by the way, vary based on where you live. <laughs> and then um, and then there is social, which is the hard part. That's when other people are telling you what you can and cannot do um, or they're creating a situation that makes it more difficult for you. And that's that's where we hit a lot of the struggle. But. It's actually amazing. And then you have uh, another really cool one is that like with, with autism, it's actually linked to the same genes that made us evolve from primates. And so what they're realizing now is, wait a minute. Maybe the reason we're seeing this uptick in autism is that that's where we're supposed to be going. (laughs) like maybe maybe that's the direction that we're that we're headed as a species um and and so there's just theories on that we don't 100% know but it's very fascinating there's a lot of science behind the fact that this is a benefit and I will say from my personal experience that I love all of my neurodiversity um I do the only one that I would say is just an outright annoyance is the misophonia uh because there's I don't know there can be an uptick to sounds annoying you but um uh, really does help me because it helps me to be able to organize for work, right? And to stay focused, even in my hypermania, uh, hyper-mania states, um, which I have through the bipolar, uh, which are a superpower in, in, in and of themselves. Uh, I've worked like a freaking freight train. Like when I, get, when I get manic, I am going 90 to nothing. Nothing can stop me. I'm hyper creative. And I had a former employer who thought it was super cool and actually did a study and figured out that I could do the work that it would take 2.6 other people eight hours to do in only six hours, and so like just crazy productivity in this little span of time, right? Um, and and there's so there's all these different benefits. Um, you know, there's 3D modeling, you know, and thinking can be a benefit. There's all different ones. Extreme empathy, um, but they're absolutely superpowers. But the key to answer your question and and how to turn them into that is. A, actually learning to understand yourself and learning what these things really mean. So, yes, this part over here can be frustrating. Yes, sometimes my mania is frustrating because I can't sleep. And, you know, you can have some destructive behaviors when you're manic if you're not careful and you don't learn to manage it. Um, and then there's always the downside. You know, when what goes up it must come down. So then you have the depressive cycle. Right. Um, so there's there's. Disability and/or frustration with these different things. The obsessive compulsive disorder can be really annoying. Like I have to eat everything in twos. I don't know. Like I like two bites of this, and two you know. I have to like. I have to you know be very meticulous about. It. That's just how my brain works. And um and so that's just part of it, right? But but if you learn to to pay attention to it, and you learn to understand what's going on in your mind and with your with your body you can learn how to use that in a way that's advantageous. And I think to um, learning to self-advocate is important and to tell people what you need so that that social disability goes away because a lot of times we allow social disability in our lives because we've been told that it's not okay to tell people to, that we need accommodation, but it is, it's perfectly normal. Like it's, to me, it's no different than like if somebody tells you, you know, hi, my name is Catherine, but I want to be called cat. Well, okay, cool. We'll just call you cat. Like no big deal. Right. It's the same kind of thing. Just this is what I need. Or if you go over to your friend's house and they're like, Hey, um, I know I'm coming over today. Um, you know, and you're having this big party. Would you mind making sure that there's, you know, water there for me to drink or something, iced water or something like that? How simple, right? Just these, these little things that we need to feel comfortable asking for So it's just self-advocation. It's self-knowledge and really learning to truly truly understand yourself what every little reaction means and then it's um and then it's just kind of fun from there honestly it's just experimentation (laughs) and seeing what you could figure out to do with yourself
0: once you've got to know yourself then you know maybe you can integrate yourself into the workplace right maybe you can go right. okay i don't think i'm cut out to be an entrepreneur i'm no richard branson i'm no elon musk i have <laughs> i have none of these traits or drives or you know th- daddy's big wallet to back me I- i'm gonna have to enter the working world Bad. so uh-huh. I- i'm wondering once we get into the workplace you know we've let's say we've got past the interview somehow we pretend to be a normal person now we have got the job how can we, as a manager, make sure our workplace is inclusive for people with the varying degrees of neurodiversity?
1: Don't pretend to be normal. It won't serve you well.
0: <laughs> just
1: <laughs> don't do it. Just just be you. Um, now, obviously, I always tell people, like, Especially if I'm manic or something, I need, I have to kind of rein it in a little bit, right? Because (laughs) that can be a little extra for people. Um, So just got to kind of rein it in just a titch. But you want to show people who you really are when you interview so that you make sure you actually do have an alignment. Otherwise, That's how you get terminated a few months later, right? (laughs) Because then they're like, whoa, this isn't what I signed up to to get. Wait, what's going on here? Um, So let people know. And and during the the interview process, I get asked this a lot. Like, how do you ask for accommodations? Just tell people what you need. You don't need to tell them why. You don't need to say, because I have autism, because I have ADHD, because I have epilepsy, whatever it is. I need this. Mm -mm." Just say, hey, it would really help me out. And I could interview the most effectively if we did this. How do you feel about that? Um, or even make, or even humor. Like when I'm meeting with new clients or something like that, I'll go, "Hey, just so you know, you know, I've run a Zoom call. I'll say, just so you know, you may see some winking or twitching on the side of my face. I'm not trying to pick you up for a date. I'm just having <laughs> a little bit of seizure activity. Don't worry, I'm okay. I will be perfectly fine. Um, and we just kind of keep on marching. Um, but when you get into the job, number one, make sure that you speak with your leadership about how you like to learn, how you like to communicate. Um, and this also should be a discussion before you actually start, by the way, you know, is this going to work for you? Because if you know, this is what I need to be able to function at my highest level. So this is how I like to communicate. This is how I like to learn. And by the way, here are my equipment preferences, anything like that. Um, just let them know straight up, you know, these are the things like, look, I want to do my best for you. That's my goal here. So here you go. You know, here's, here's the thing that I need to make that happen on the worker, on the company side. And this is kind of my jam, right? This is what I teach companies to do all the time. Start with making accommodations, standard options. Stop making people jump through hoops. Stop making it a big old deal. Just have various equipment options, technology options, communication options, so on and so forth that are just standard that you just hand people go, Hey, here you go. Here's some stuff we offer. And here's a fill in the blank for anything else that you need, because every single human out there, every single human has their own preferences, right? Things that will make them more comfortable. And I mean, any scientific study you pull up, um, the last one I read was in psychology today, but there's tons of them out there. We'll talk about how the human mind is in better form and better function when it's allowed to work in a way that's natural right and the same thing with the body so the more comfortable we are the more naturally we can work in a way that makes sense to us as individuals The more productive will be, the the more innovation, and ultimately the higher profits. Um, Hewlett-Packard did a great, great program about that where they just let people work however they wanted. I mean, people up walking around while they work, people that sit on yoga balls, noise-canceling headphones, all this different stuff. And they found that team to be 33% more productive than their counterparts. That's huge. 33% more. Just think about that. Think about that. That is so crazy. That's an astronaut astronomical amount and on top of that the people were happier, healthier. They they reported that they were actually excited to come to work. Who knew, right? So so when you when you do these just very basic simple things and just let people do things that are natural for them, they produce more and they're happier. So as a company it's it's saves you money ultimately it ultimately will save you effort. It sounds like it'd be so difficult, but it's not. It's just as simple as Okay, that's how you're gonna work. Cool, you do you. <laughs>
0: that's simple. Yeah, I mean you got you got to support people. There's a reason why you hired them. You like their skill set, and you yeah. want them to do the best work possible. And you know something that could affect pretty much anybody. You know, you might not be neurodiverse, but something like mental health in the workplace, which is part it's, of neurodiversity, it's the topic, by the
1: way.
0: Yeah. Ah, yeah. okay. It's, it's a big topic at the moment. You know, everybody's talking about it. It's not a, it's not a dirty word to say anymore. No. But the problem is. HR is there to protect the company. This is something that if you don't know it, now you know it. HR is there to protect the company. They're not your mate. They're not your friend. They're not there to protect (laughs) you. Historically, yes. But. That's true. But how can a company, because, you know, people listening are entrepreneurs, business owners, they're, they're, you know, in charge of hiring and firing people, but in our ideal world, they hire people and keep them for as long as possible. Right. How can they support people with mental health issues outside of the whole, oh, we offer private healthcare, we offer therapists? What are the smaller ways that we can make sure that people are turning up to work to do their best work in their best, you know, best state Best, of selves.
1: Health? best healthy selves. Um, really, first of all, again, back to, let them work in a way that's natural for them so if somebody for instance has depression then maybe that day they don't want to do fifty thousand social things maybe in the meeting they're going to be a little bit quieter and you don't need to make a thing of it you don't need it just just let it ride just let them be them um maybe develop a signal with them where they can just you know have a setting on their on their teams or they can know whatever to just let people know not social today no thank you I saw one employer and it was really cute they had like this little color wheel and it said like where you were and how you felt social or wanted contact that day and people were were instructed everybody's instructed to respect the wheel like whatever color that says that's how you address that person that day and that's what you do with them um Another thing that I think is genius that I saw a client of mine do, and at first, I'm not going to lie, I totally made fun of it. I, they even know this. Like, this is not hidden information. <laughs> like, I was like, what is with them? This is so cheesy. This is so dumb. But it turns out it works. So, you know, I've had, I have had to eat crow on that one. But it's they call it the traffic light system. And, you know, here in the States, you know, it's red light for stop, yellow for, you know, proceed with caution and green for go. And so at the beginning of every meeting and every interaction, they say, okay, everybody tell us your color and let us, and you can feel free to elaborate or not. And what they did was when somebody was in yellow, they would say, okay, the the appropriate people say, okay, how can we help today? And they would just jump in and they would provide resources and give that person support. Um, If it was red light, there were no decisions made in which that person needed to participate that day. Because that meant that they were not in the right mental state and that gave them grace and it let them decompress and nobody thought anything about it, right? It was just, okay, they're just red today. No problem. Another day, they will be yellow or green and we can proceed. No big deal. And so everybody just kind of worked in the system. Um, Psychological safety is huge for this because you need to be able to communicate with your team and trust them and put that out there. So a big part of building that is vulnerability. And that's hard and trust me i know i am an introvert to the core i don't want to be telling people my business i don't want people to know me i am just a little corner over by myself right happy as a little clam um so i know how hard that is but being vulnerable with your team and letting them see that it's okay to talk about these things is important that's an important part of leadership is is putting yourself out there and letting them see that they can be human with you and you doesn't mean you have to tell them every aspect of every part of your life absolutely not um but just disclosing to them and letting them feel that so giving people ways that are built in to ask for help in ways that are not stressful ways to communicate their their needs for that day um and then i think another big one too is and I know this is gonna sound a little a little odd, but just steering into it. You know, if, if somebody is, you know that they have these different struggles, maybe certain types of projects aren't the best for them. So shift them to work, set them up for success, right? Set them up for, for the right type of situation, for the right type of success. That's going to be conducive. Um, maybe create a partner situation so that the two partners can work in harmony together but those are kind of my tips for really truly supporting people on a deep level is partnerships uh, psychological safety and creating putting systems in place that let people communicate where they are in a way that's not um, distracting and in a way that's not going to add to their problem
0: yeah I mean, so we've spoken now about kind of getting into the workplace or, you know, handling your neurodiversity just for yourself and then getting into the workplace, having all the things you need, how that manager should treat you. And if they, you know, if they don't treat you this way, then you can kind of educate them a bit if they're open to it. Or, you know, if you are just a manager, this is how you should do it. Now I'm wondering for the individual, the person with neurodiversity, how can they manage these things? How can they regulate these things? Because you said to yourself, you know, or you said to me, sorry, just now that you have times where you're manic and you have to rein it in or else it's too much for some people so i'm wondering what are some you know key things people can do to manage their neurodiversity or to make themselves you know arguably more palatable for other people because it's something that you have to do you can't you can't just throw the excuse out oh sorry i got the got the neurodiversity i'm neuro spicy today you you can't do that you have to kind of work on yourself as well
1: you do have to work it's a balance right like i tell people you, you should get to be your authentic self and embrace who you are without being extra right like, like, there's like there's a line mm. and and where where the line is for me is when you become destructive just in mm. some form or fashion that's the line everything on this side of destruction acceptable you be you let your freak flag fry let, let your uh, freak flag fly i love it all about it 100 percent. over here when it's destructful and just dest- and destructive and are harmful that's that just been destructive. That's what I was trying to say. Destructive and or harmful <laughs> that I invented a new word, destructive. Um, <laughs> that's that's where we stop. Right. That's that's the line. Um, and so the ways that you can learn to take care of yourself, number one, is learn to map yourself. That's the first thing that I was taught by a psychologist and also by a scientist who opted or happens to be my grandfather and other people of my life as well that were very influential uh, influential why can't i see seizure activity that's what's about to happen just this is actually a great a great example here we go so as soon as my mind starts doing that starts losing its words and what's happening inside my brain is it's starting to click over into like almost sleep mode <laughs> so i start <laughs> yeah. to lose my words All the the neurons are firing. Yeah, all the neurons are going, wait, ah, we're too excited. We're overstimulated. So I have to stop and kind of breathe, you know, roll up my sleeves, let cool off my temperature a little bit. That actually does make a difference. But feeling those things, I know what's coming next. So it's part of mapping myself, right? So map yourself. Pay very close attention and document the things that happen in sequence. So I feel this then this happens, then this happens, then this happens. And that's where you can learn to to pivot things. Um, and a lot of this is for yourself, not even for other humans, right? A lot of this is, this is stuff I need to do to take care of me. Like if I just let my, my mania fly, first of all, I'd have no money because I'd spend all of it, <laughs> right? Um, and I would do all kinds of impulsive, just bizarre things, right? Like just bring 50 animals home in a day because I love animals and that just struck me as the thing to do that day. And so you, you have to learn to map yourself so that you can understand. Also, research and understand what is chemically happening. Because I'll give you a little tip that I learned years ago, is that when I can tell my brain, nah, I know what you're really doing. And this isn't real. What's really happening is this. And I don't need this right now. I don't need this to happen. I can fix this problem that you're experiencing this way over here. And I find healthy ways to to redirect that and so being able to you know actually stop and process what's happening like okay here I am in, in this cycle of this and this means that you know right now I'm having way too much dopamine release or I'm having too much serotonin or whatever it is released and that's causing this no thank you to that <laughs> you know and then just kind of going on so mapping yourself is very big putting tools in place to help yourself stay organized, like you, using calendars, Apple watches, things like that to help you stay organized. A friend of mine who, uh, how does she say it? She says she has extra hyper ADHD. That's her terminology. Um, she <laughs> she likes to use uh, three different uh, organizational tools to make sure that she stays on time and stays punctual and gets things done. and um, And that's been wonderfully helpful. So developing tools and then sensory processing is also very important. So in the neurodiverse and mental health communities, a lot of times you're having overstimulation, you're having too much of something released and that's not very helpful. So I you can you might be able to see some of my stuff behind me but your listeners can't. So I have a squishy red bead ball <laughs> that I can that's that's great for sensory processing. I have a teddy bear that has different uh, textures on her that I use And I do grounding exercises to refocus my mind, to to uh, decompress myself, whatever it is that I need to do in that particular moment. I actually have my little toys to do that. Um, I was giving a speech on neurodiversity recently, and a girl just—it was on Zoom—and this girl just broke into a huge smile. She goes, "Stop!" and then she holds up a handful of toys. And none of her coworkers <laughs> knew that she did this and they were all so tickled and then she all, and then they all had questions about her toys. Um, <laughs> but, but it is a, a very, very, effective, effective tool. And you have to kind of experiment with what works for you when um, I've actually done some TikToks talks about uh, about my toys and, and how I use them. Um, plus, it's fun. You get to be an adult and play with toys. Right. Um, I know one lady that uses Legos like she's a huge Lego freak and she'll sit there and build Legos when she get, and feel them and mess with them when she gets uh, uh, gets overstimulated or or needs to focus. Um, so using those tools is, and, and having the, the grounding exercises are very important, but ultimately know thyself. That, that is unbelievably crucial in, in and self-management and put systems in place and have accountability buddies. Um, maybe somebody else who's neurodiverse, maybe somebody who's more neurotypical, Um, Often somebody with different neurodiversities is an excellent partner for for yourself, somebody who has complementary uh, neurodiversities and can kind of relate. Um, That that can be a very good tool. Somebody can go, hey, I'm observing this, and you just accept that information and just go, okay, good to know, (laughs) and just kind of keep on tracking with it.
0: What, what are some of the neurodiversities that match up you know how can we get a, a full set you know a, a, full a, set. <laughs> a winning hand if, if you were. collect
1: them all um, <laughs> um you know it's there's so many different ones but just a few examples so um, my husband is on the autism spectrum i have ocd we've noticed that those two things complement each other very very well uh the bipolar is very difficult um, in terms of that, but the OCD and the and the autism complement each other very well. Um dyslexia and bipolar can complement each other very well. Um uh ADHD and bipolar can complement each other very well. You'll have um I'm trying to think Tourette's and uh, either epilepsy or uh, Actually, I've seen some work very well with bipolar and also traumatic brain injury um, can be really complementary depending on what the injury is exactly and how it manifested um, in terms of the neurodiversity. It can be very helpful um, for people both with autism and people who, are, uh, who have um, memory problems and, and also depression as well. So those are some of the kind of complementary collect them all yeah. <laughs> neurodiversity.
0: <laughs> I love it. I, I mean, we, we've spoken about ideal situations here, right? As in, you know, you're coming into a job, these people are open to these situations, these people are open to hiring you. That line at the bottom of the of the application where they said, oh, we want diverse and whatever type of people. It's actually and, true. You know, they don't act- <laughs> yeah, and they don't end up just hiring, you know, a, a young white male. That person is the, that type of company, that type of situation is completely ideal. But there's people out there, there's a person listening to this who is currently in a job, and, you know, it's it's rigid, it's rooted in that old corporate, listen, come to work, be normal, come to the drinks afterwards, go home, you know, and that's it. If you start causing problems, we'll <laughs> write you up once, we'll write you up twice, third yeah. time's a strike, you're out type thing. Yeah. So I'm oh, wondering I what, what are some actionable steps that somebody can take to challenge and disrupt the status quo in their workplace? You know, basically with with regards to diversity and inclusion
1: and, and change it up. And, and I can, man, that work is challenging. Um, I've been on both sides of it and it's, it's bonkers. It's a, it's a, it's a nuts, um, situation. It takes time. It takes commitment. Um, so I want to give a lot of grace and a lot of honor to the people out there who do that because it's a lot. Um, number one is start with, accommodating yourself as best you can to get through it. If you if you want to stay and you don't just want to leave and find something else, if you want to stay and, and be part of the change, that's beautiful. That's wonderful. But start by doing things to keep yourself sane. Set set some boundaries for yourself. No, okay, when I hit this point emotionally, I'm going to back off from this work for just a little bit and then come back to it. Um, or yeah, these are things I can do to help make my life a little bit easier in the meantime. Um, then find an ally. Start with the next thing is find an ally, somebody in the company that people listen to, that listens to you. And they they don't need to be 100% on board with you right away, but it needs to be somebody that will get the right people listening to you, right? Um, The types of people, executive assistants can be great for that. Um, Good good HR people, specify good ones, because man, there are some nightmares out there. Um, (laughs) Legal, legal is actually a great one. And here's why, they don't want to get sued. So if you're starting to point out things <laughs> that could eventually lead to lawsuits if they're not changed, guess who's going to be a great ally for you? <laughs> legal. Um, so, so legal, legal is a, a really fantastic one. Uh, but anyway, whoever it is, find your, find your ally, right? Uh, then make your business case. And I mean, God, I wish that people would just get through their head that integrity should be the thing, right? But um, a lot of humans suck let's just be honest. So that's just not the thing. So you have to, and people also have a huge ego defense, right? And that's a naturally occurring mechanism. It's your biggest challenge in diversity, equity, and inclusion. And what that is, is it's that natural response that when, because your brain needs to be correct. Biologically, it needs to be correct. So that's that natural response that when something is different than what you think, your brain starts throwing up defenses as to why it's right and they're wrong. Immediately, and think about it. We actually see this happening on social media, right? Somebody will make a perfectly well-articulated point, and then there's all these people just saying dumb things back <laughs> that make like no sense, right? Um, that's the ego defense in, in in practice, in the most visible way possible. But every single human does it. You can train it out, that type of thing. But you also, when you're doing diversity and inclusion work, you need to be ready to combat it, and that's hard. Um, so the learning to do that first, learn to do it yourself, because you're going to have to listen to some nonsense and just take it and process it back to them and help them process it. That's the hardest part of inclusion is, and and the burden, it would be great if the burden wasn't on the marginalized humans, that would be wonderful. But sadly, sadly, we've got to do some of the work too. That's just part of it. Um, and part of it is is that we need to be able to listen to the other side, receive what they're saying, and not assume why they're doing it, but ask, respond to curiosity. So talk to them, learn, teach yourself to have those conversations, and then build your case, build your case. This is why. This is why we need to get to here. These are the things that will help using some of the studies and stuff that I cited earlier will work. Talk about Hewlett Packard, talk about Boston consulting group, proving that you can make an extra 19% a year in profits if you do these things. Right? So start, start with those types of things. Say that's our goal, right? This is what I want to help you achieve. And then say, and this is how we're going to do it. And it needs to be very actionable things that have metrics. Okay, that's a big thing that people miss when when doing inclusion work in a business. This is why we're seeing a lot. Well, one of the reasons we're seeing a lot of diversity and and inclusion people being laid off right now is that there's been no metrics and there in the company's mind nothing's being done because they can't see it right. So come up with actionable things. So for instance, if you're going to make accommodation standard standard options, great. So do that and then have touch points as to how you're going to tell that that's working and giving and showing improvement. So are people happier? Are they healthier? Are people staying with you longer? Is production going up? You know, is, are new innovative things happening on the team? You know, have markers so that you can show the progress. And going to a company and telling them, I'm going to make your people more productive, happier, up your retention, increase your higher, your you know, increase the, the candidate inflow and ultimately increase your profits and customer satisfaction. No company's gonna argue with that. <laughs> you know, just go in and take it on. Um and, and just kind of go at it from that standpoint. You have to make it make sense to them. And then again, it needs to be very actionable. It can't just be the feel goods. Yes have the education. Yes have speakers come in, yes have listening sessions, yes do these things, but then have actionable ways that companies can see the progress or else you're just going to get shut down.
0: Mm. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of this performative diversity and inclusion where people, like I said, put that lovely line at the bottom of the application and they sift through it all and they go, oh, can't say that name. Oh, okay. uh, We don't really want too many women in here. This is a really lad boys culture. Oh, he looks good. John Smith. Oh, okay. I'll bring him in for an interview. He comes in. What's your favorite football team? What's your favorite, you know... What's your favourite sport? Oh, great. Yeah, he seems like one of the lads. Oh, he's got the same hairstyle as me. You know, he looks like yep. he's the same type of guy, whatever. Yep. He, he looks like my son, all that kind of stuff. And these are things that are slowly becoming more challenged, right? These are things that are, people are fighting against now. And I say fighting for lack of a better word. They're pushing against these things. But I'm wondering, you know, these people that are in these positions of power and able to make these changes, yeah. how, how do we actually... Get their mind turning in the right direction, like you know. Okay, they know that they can't say certain things in an open forum. They can't do certain things in an open forum anymore. But that's not change. That's no. that's hiding. Do you know what yes. I mean? That's that's yeah. hiding. We want to change people. We want to you know uh, uh, change litigation, change processes. Mm-hmm. So we we get to having that conversation with that person. We spoke to the executive assistant. Now we're speaking to the you know department head, the CEO, or whatever. Where do we start this conversation with them? Outside of this is what I I need. This is how it would improve things. Exactly, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. The business case would be right. Okay, we've got these researches. We've right. got these kind yeah, of the, you know, bits the, of work.
1: That's the hard stuff, right? Not the soft stuff.
0: Yeah, <laughs> but once we once we get in there, what exactly are we saying to them? Because there's there's someone who's gonna listen to this and be like, right. Monday morning, I'm going to go do this. I'm, I'm fired up. I'm going to go. Do you know what I mean? Let's give them the handbook on how to get this going. You know, <laughs> how you would go in and do it per se.
1: I, what I do is I start and I learned some of this from, from some remarkable humans. Um, and and I'm, I'm going to give them a, some shout outs right now. So the, the first one that, that really hit me in a very unique way was, uh, was Sharon Hurley-Hall who is in your, your neck of the woods, your side of the pond, so to speak, uh, and does some wonderful anti-racism work. And she taught me some new language that really just shifted. And she said, sometimes we need to say the words that will get people to keep listening. It's not about that the other language was not correct, but we need them to hear us. And so we need to pivot our language. And so, for instance, she says, um unearned advantage instead of like white privilege male privilege whatever it is she says unearned advantage because nobody's going to argue with that yeah like yes i didn't earn this advantage yes it's an event you know it just it kind of because the word privilege in our society has somehow become linked to money so that there's an arguable point right whereas if you just say unearned advantage and it's also not a trigger right um it's not a trigger word so it kind of decompresses the conversation um and then the next big influence was uh, was Seth Butler, who is a wonderful, wonderful inclusion speaker. He has an education background, and he does a lot of spoken word, master of spoken word, man. His stuff is super freaking powerful. And he really uh, gave me the term curiosity to focus in on and takes the approach that we need to have a human understanding and we need to to listen both ways and hear each other as we are, or we're never going to make progress. And that can be so hard, right? Because if somebody's saying something that's just outright messed up or stupid or whatever it is, right? It gets, or if it's just harmful, even if you know they may not mean it that way, but it's just so harmful and that can just hit you so wrong, right? we still need to stop, not respond in ego, and respond in curiosity. And also not assume why they're saying something. There's always a lot of assumptions, right? As to why somebody's saying something a certain way? Um, But maybe that's not it. Maybe there's something else in their past that we don't know about. And just having these conversations and just slowly, so when somebody says to you, for instance, if you're going in to have this DEI conversation, and they're like, well, you know, it's just, I, I just I just don't think that this is gonna work for us you know this is how we've always done it uh, this is the process that we need and just say okay so what I'm hearing you say is that you have a lot going on right now and making a change would be difficult for you yes that's exactly what I'm saying okay as a business owner you know sometimes short-term pain <laughs> is worth it because of the long term benefits. so what if, after just you know a week or two of having to practice this change, you could have this whole new process that would make things flow so much easier and would yield much stronger results? Wouldn't that be ultimately worth it? And just kind of so responding to what their pain point is, to what their confusion is. Um, The same thing when people are confused by things like I I get this a lot, like in inclusion talks So people, bless their little hearts, are so confused about things that just really aren't that confusing, but they're so massively confused. You know, like, why if I say this, is that racist? Or why if I say this, is that misogynist? If I do this, how is that, you know, ableism, you know, whatever it is. Um, And explaining to them, because people... I know this sounds ridiculous they actually don't get it sometimes they legitimately do not get it so if you just take the time and again it stinks that that labor is on the marginalized humans but frankly i mean there's no other real way for them to get it there's there's some books there's some things out there but to really understand and answer their specific questions is so very important um, and again I, I get what I'm saying and it's frustrating. And there's days that trust me, I even have to say, not today. Here's an appointment. Here's here's the link to my calendar. Book <laughs> book a call. I will talk to you about it another day. Today's not it. <laughs> um, but but you do we do need to respond in curiosity. So curiosity and and meeting them where they are and responding to their actual pain points is a is a big part of it. But it's ooh, it's a tough one. It is. This is such tough work. Because there's so like every fiber of my being so often just wants to go, just get it. It's not that hard. (laughs) Like just stop being a jerk or stop being whatever. just stop being self-centered. Just stop it. Just get it. It's not difficult. (laughs) You know? (laughs) There is that side of you, but but you can't do that to actually get progress. It doesn't work. Um and telling people that they're jerks um may be true, it may be accurate. But ultimately, it doesn't work. It doesn't. That's not how people are motivated to change. So you have to go in, as painful as it is. Trust me, I know. As painful as it is, go in there with a um, consultant and a curiosity attitude. It works. I've seen yeah. it work. It works. And thank you to yeah. Seth and to Sharon for that. For those lessons.
0: Oh, and Celia Daniels.
1: To... She is the other oh. one because man. I don't know how anybody, because she is a a trans woman, and I don't know how anybody can smile at someone who's spewing hate to them. But she literally will sit there and smile at them until they cut it out. And that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Shout out to those three people. I'm so glad you brought up this thing anti-racism, because that is something that I only became aware of in maybe February, March time. Someone came to me at, at an event that i was at and you know it was all the dei whole thing where people are like yeah me to do this me to do that and this this little lady her name's kit shout out to her she came up to me and she said yeah i work in anti-racism i'm like wait hang on wait what is that do you know what i mean that's such a, <laughs> wait, a cutting on. term that, that yeah it breaks through the noise you go anti-racism okay so we're accepting that racism exists and we're anti that okay yeah. cool and she spoke me through the process and you know that is a, a far bigger conversation than we're gonna have here but then you you spoke about you know, unfair advantages. And I read a book by some authors that names escape me now, but the unfair advantage thing is always viewed as a negative thing. But one thing that that book tries to teach you is find out what your unfair advantage is. and It's kind of looping us back to the the beginning of the conversation of having your neurodiversity as a superpower. And so, you know, Mm -hmm. something that I would advise the listener to do is, you know, like you said, sit down get to know yourself, get to know what works best for you, what doesn't work for you and embrace that unfair advantage like you with your manic times where you can do the work of you know two and a half people in less time it's like for me you know when i'm in the mood to focus i'm laser focused i'm doing what i'm doing but if i'm if i'm not focused i have to just embrace that otherwise nothing's going to get done and you know for me what i want want to know is you know we as people tend to be always trying to protect ourselves and, and, you know, live with our best interests at heart. And, you know, that's the same with the managers. You know, they have big egos. That's how they get up there. They're, you know, driving the ship forward and it, it takes a lot to put your neck out there. But I'm wondering how can we bring empathy into ourselves and into other people in the workplace? Not not that soppy kind of fake empathy of, oh, there, there, it'll be all right. <laughs> I'm talking about the real empathy yeah. that actually, you know, works and allows people to do their work
1: (laughs) like that the one that actually works that one that's productive empathy that's what we want productive empathy um that's a great question actually and to me it starts with both sides of what you just discussed so on the one side figure out where you have your privilege your strength all that from two perspectives number one because then you can feel some power right and then number two so you can see the second part which is where may i act may where may i be the oppressor not the oppressed because in every human right we're so there's so much intersectionality and there's so much diversity in this world that it's very common that somebody who is marginalized in these groups will then be the one causing the problem over here right so stopping and realizing or even just seeing that hey I'm, I have privilege here. This is an area where I can help from a privileged standpoint. And that's kind of what it's about is number one, creating that, that empathy, like you said, the productive empathy of, okay, so I have a marginalized experience and a privileged experience. They have a marginalized and a privileged experience. Like for instance, looking, looking at you and I, right. So you might say, you know, I am marginalized because uh, I'm a non-white male, right. And so, and I might say, or a black male or however you, what you choose, you choose to say it. And I might say, well, I'm marginalized because I have six six invisible disabilities and I'm a woman, right? Or whatever, you know, whatever the thing is. And so we both have an opportunity to help from a position of privilege. And then we both have an opportunity to empathize with each other as a fellow marginalized human and realizing that we, almost everyone, I mean, you're going to be hard pressed to find something that's not marginalized in some way, shape or form, right? Um, then you can kind of hit that that empathy factor, right? And even if it's not them, even if it's like maybe their mother or their father or whatever whatever that fits into that, creating that empathy, that productive empathy to your point, because then people do want to take action, right? The second that it's personal, now I care. Now I want to do stuff. So helping people find that productive empathy and to understand the balance of where they they kind of shift between the two, the marginalized versus the privileged, I think is a huge, huge aspect, but of building true inclusion and building productive empathy is just understanding each other and communicating that. I, I've seen an exercise, there's an event that I attend, um, HR Disruptor Summit, where we all took the time to identify to each other, right? And it was amazing the conversations that took place. And there was one lady, she goes, I never thought of myself as being in a marginalized community. <laughs> she goes, you know, I'm, I'm white, blonde hair, blue eyed, you know, I'm relatively young, you know, she goes, cause I never thought of myself. She goes, but I'm multicultural and I'm, and I'm religiously diverse and I'm a woman. She goes, so wait a minute, <laughs> you know, hold on a second. And then it was personal to make progress. And she, she said that was one of the biggest lessons that she took from that was wait a minute this is personal to me and that's what we need to realize this isn't just about this group or this group or this group that's why i like the term inclusion because it cannot be exclusive by pure definition right the definition is to include to welcome in so the idea is that we are all taken care of ultimately
0: hopefully and what i'm picking up on that is we need to actually once we've identified ourselves it's actually not clinging to that identity that we've got there because it can actually do us harm when we enter a room and you know there might be men women they them trans people whatever we might look for ourselves in that room and go oh i'm gonna go chat to those people right and realistically the only way that you can grow as a person is to speak to other people hear their viewpoints challenge their viewpoints and you know obviously don't speak about the forbidden topics i would say which is politics and religion off the bat But definitely the only way to grow is is by meeting other people. And I think that's something nowadays a lot of people aren't getting. A lot of people are stuck in echo chambers. You know, they follow people with the same mindset. They look at the same content and, you know, they they come up with ideas and realizations that aren't a view of the real world, which is unfortunate. But I feel like, you know, the more work you do on yourself, the more you realize you actually need to come across people that might grate you a bit. But that grating (laughs) is helping you grow.
1: It, It is. And it's wonderful. But some of my favorite people are the people that can ride my nerves the most, like just because they're amazing, incredible, challenging humans. Um, and I, I always tell people I I'm I'm like my pitbull. So pit bull, will, my pitbull, he my doggy. He will run up to a new creature. No, it doesn't matter what it is, and run up to it, smell it all over, flip it over, like lick it. He, like he he licks it, he smells it, he pokes it. You know, just whatever he can do. And I kind of do the same thing. I love to meet new humans, and I'm like, I want to know everything. Tell me everything. Tell me everything, because I think it's so cool. But that's just how my brain is is wired. I that's part of my neurodiversity. That's part of my little my little quirk, right? Um, most humans, to your point, kind of gravitate towards likeness. But in, instead of doing that, you make a point to, as I like to call it, expand my we, because what we're attached to is our we, right? That the, the those that are part of our group, right? Well, the more that you expand your we and bring people in and find that connection, the more you then start to understand and start to have real empathy. And the more that you start to truly breed inclusion and and understand that there's there's always something right. There's always something. So this person over here who lives on the other side of the world, who has completely different views from you and all of this, there's always a we if you stop and find it. There's always a we and there's always a way to connect, and I had I had a good friend of mine say to me recently. She said, "Well, what about the ones who are just bad? Like, they're just they're just not getting there." I said, "Well, then you know what? That's what we're fighting against. Ultimately, that's what we're fighting against. So they can stay over there, <laughs> but all the rest of us over here." And and so to me, the 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 only to me just personally the only acceptable division of we and they. Is that, and I mean just from the standpoint of like us versus them, right? Is for the people who want to oppress—that that's actually what they want to do—they can stay over there. The rest of us are the us and the we <laughs> over here fighting against that nonsense.
0: <laughs> and soon that that minority can become a majority because that was another thing that this anti-racism person actually flipped my mind on. It's like, yeah, in this country or the West world, you know, we are. An ethnic minority, but technically on the global front we're a majority there's a billion indian people there's a there's a billion chinese people there's hundreds of millions of these types of people you know it's mm-hmm. It's an odd dance to do once you you know flip the script and change things but yeah i mean cat we we are very deep into a conversation that's <laughs> that could go on for hours and hours, hours you know, this, this is the, the hours. this is the kind of conversation where you know someone could ask a new question that sends us both on a spiral to talk for the next two three hours and you know we suddenly we end Easily. up with an audiobook instead of Easily. a podcast <laughs> so, so something i want to ask you is something i ask every single one of my guests and it's a question that you know always prompts a different answer because it's personal to you so what i would like to know is what is it about what you do that brings you the most joy hmm.
1: I love I love to have the people that you see light up and then you get an email a day or two maybe even a week later that says thank you so much for coming to speak or teach or whatever the case is you said this and now we're doing this and this is the result that it's made so to to get to either see or learn about the trickle that's now these better things are happening because of this, and these people are better, and they're happier, and they're healthier, and the world is moving forward because of something that I did. That's the best part of my work, that right there, and and even if it's just something inside of them that that changed, and maybe now they feel like they can self advocate or they feel help, healthier, or happier. Great. Well, what wonderful things are going to come of that, you know? So that to me is the best part of my work is to see the world start to get better
0: where can the people find you online
1: uh they can find me on linkedin i'm one of two Catherine McCord's, I think, that spell my name my way in the US. I'm very easy to find. Uh, Also, kmccordspeaking.com is my speaker website. And then my company's website, and we do, we are starting to work internationally now, super excited about that, is titanmanagementusa.com
0: Thank you for listening to People Explained. New episodes come out every Monday. We would appreciate it if you gave us a review on Apple Podcasts and shared this episode with a friend.